The Full Exposure Podcast is made possible by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn in appreciation for the contributions that artists and creative minds provide to our community. Arts and culture are essential to a rich and rewarding life, strengthening our overall well-being and our appreciation of all that we see, hear, and experience. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. We are going to jump right into this episode. I'm going to keep my comments brief because this is a very important conversation about race, the riot that occurred in our Grand Rapids streets on May 30th. It's about police brutality and the systems that continue to create outcomes that make Grand Rapids one of the most segregated cities in the United States. My guest is Jonathan Jelks. He's an entrepreneur and leader in the downtown business community. His entrepreneurial efforts include Motu Vijay Spirits, GRUSA Apparel, and Ambiance Kitchen and Lounge, which was affected by the riots directly. Jonathan moves unflinchingly in many social and entrepreneurial circles in and around Grand Rapids and is someone I've come to admire very, very much. I also need to highlight for you that we've had two of Jonathan's business partners on this podcast last year, Andrea Superdre Wallace and Willie the Kid. And these are great episodes. So please go into the Full Exposure Podcast archives and listen to these conversations. All three of these uh, incredibly adept entrepreneurs are moving the city of Grand Rapids forward in many different ways. So with that... Let's explore the bigger picture with my guest, Jonathan Jelks. But uh, how about you? How did you, this may not open it, but I'm just curious, how did you handle COVID uh, being locked in? What yeah, did you, how was, did you pass the time and keep working? And I was extremely disappointed because, you know, we had so much momentum with our different businesses. Yeah. And we were really looking forward to, you know, kind of getting ambiance open and yeah. know, on track there. Well, ambiance is the, uh, that'll lead into two parts of the conversation because I think Absolutely. you and I want to just get into it because. Yeah. Uh, Start with current events. Current events, and then we'll talk more about your various companies and yeah. how, what you're doing as an entrepreneur and, and inherently what you're doing as a someone forwarding the community. Uh, but. Uh, GR Ambience is a the first in what thirty years African American owned, black owned restaurant nightclub in downtown Grand Rapids. Yeah, definitely in that that core downtown corridor. We've had some things on the outskirts of downtown. Yeah, um, but it's been a long time. Yes, and the um, so you had been going through a build out. We're about to come online. Then COVID hit. Yep. Then the riots hit. Yep. And uh, you put out quite a dramatic post the other day, but. T- Set up what GR Ambience is, um, what the philosophy is, and then uh, we'll get into the riots. Absolutely. Ambiance Kitchen and Lounge is um, it's a bar, lounge, restaurant. Um, we're really excited about it. It's in the, the very heart of the city down there on Pearl in Ottawa mm-hmm. in the Ledyard Building. And uh, we were really excited to be a part of the growing ecosystem that is downtown Grand Rapids, right? We've, we all come from the city, all of the partners in the business. We all grew up on the southeast side, and uh, it's kind of a cool story that, you know, we pulled our resources together and uh, invested in this project, and uh, Under Construction has done a great job with our build-out, 
Um, we've worked with CWD, obviously, who owns yeah. the whole block and owns but about forty percent of downtown. Yeah, and um, it's hard to maneuver without um, you know um, colliding with CWD in some way. Absolutely, and. Start Garden, who we have a partnership with and where our offices are at, um, is across the street. So the convenience was yeah. lovely. Mm-hmm. And uh, so obviously being able to open up a cool spot, a happening spot for a young yeah. millennial uh, man is, is a dream come true. Um, and then COVID hit, obviously, and uh, it just slowed our progress. We would have really been opening up about right now. You know, yeah. right Memorial Day weekend would have been the perfect time to kind of debut yeah. ambiance and all its splendor and, and all its glory. Well, the, the interiors are looking amazing, the progress shots I've seen. I just want for the audience, everyone, to know your other business partners. We've had two of them on. Yeah. Uh, Willie the Kid is a partner in Ambiance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Super Dre. Super Dre is not in Ambiance. Not in Ambiance, but she's part of Moto Vijay, which yep. is your liquor brand. So I'm just ticking off some of your interests, yep. uh, which are vast and growing. Uh, you have uh, Motu Vijay, which is a, a vodka brand. Of, is it Avanti? Avani. Avani. Yep, Avani Supreme Vodka. Avani Supreme Vodka, and also the Motu Vijay uh, sparkling wine. And that's took off, and uh, last what last fall? Yeah, um, and then, last August. Yeah, yeah, last August, and then um, momentum. Then the vodka brand mm. debuted that, and then uh, you also have GR USA, yep. well, clothing and apparel line. Absolutely. I don't know who your partners are specifically. I know me it's and Willie, you and just you and Willie in yeah. that one. And then uh, um, Ambiance has a few different uh, another partner at yep. least. AJ for. AJ Hills the fourth, uh, yeah. Jamal Chilton. Lacey Jones. But I would encourage everyone to go back, uh, uh, revisit the episodes with Willie the Kid and, and Super Dre, and you can see why uh, you guys are these driven, unstoppable entrepreneurs and people I have tremendous respect for in the business game, but also people I can learn from uh, personally in my own development and just as a business owner and Father and uh, someone who's trying to live in the community. I appreciate that, Brian. That's yeah. that's high praise. No, it's uh, coming from a legend like yourself. I feel, <laughs> I'm honored to be here, man. Like no. this is big. No, this is big, and this is the time that, that I can't think of a better time to have you and I on. We haven't personally spent a lot of time together one on one. We come from. You grew up in my neighborhood. You um, I, later, about ten years ago, I bought a house around the corner from where the house you grew up in, where your parents lived all those years and um and i regret not having more interactions with your parents and uh, you'd already been out of the house probably mm-hmm. mostly at that point but we are we live on the same block yeah. or we're from the same block at least where i'm raising my family is where you grew up partly yeah partly. mostly i grew up uh southeast grand rapids on sherman street okay so uh, when i was in high school my parents relocated to uh, the Ottawa Hills neighborhood. Okay, in high school. Yeah, so I was uh, I was cultivated. So yeah. most of my experiences were, you know, from, you know, from Sherman Street and that yeah. whole neighborhood down there. And then, well, your stock is rich because your parents are two of the smartest uh, people <laughs> I know. They they're not afraid to speak their mind, and they've done a lot. Did uh, my did my mom contribute to the podcast today? <laughs> did she pay for advertising? <laughs> No, but I've done. I did portraits of your mom when she was at the city, yes. and uh, you know she's been Those had a thing. And your your dad's a, a professor and down at uh, down in Kansas, and uh, anyway, an author and all kinds of things. Absolutely. So uh, not afraid to tackle social issues and social justice issues. And um, for that, to now as we timestamp it today is uh, Grand Rapids is uh, in the country, but we keep it narrow to our mm-hmm. city. 
of just uh, in turmoil and bring it back to ambience now. Of, yeah. Uh, well, what happened on Saturday night? You know, on Saturday there were uh, some really dynamic protests organized um, and the community came out in droves. Um, I've really never seen Grand Rapids activated in that kind of way around a social justice issue. Right. Usually the black community is out advocating for ourselves. And um, that's how it should be. I mean, that's that's how it should be because you have to save yourself first. So I'm always of the belief that you take care of your own backyard, you take care of your own neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see everybody come together from all different backgrounds, you know, ethnicities, uh, neighborhoods, you know, just to collaborate for a, a very important moment after, mm-hmm. you know, seeing the death of George Floyd over there in, in Minneapolis. That was powerful. Well, um, and it, just to delineate, there were two sort of occurrences. One was a very peaceful proce- uh, protest and a march or a gathering, I should say, around the police department. That was very peaceful. A lot of people came to that. All the It was a diverse. There was families there. There was kids there. Yep. It was, uh, every part of the community was part of that. And then when it became dark, it turned into uh, some violent vandalism and some things that have, um, you know, unfortunately, temporarily, only temporarily, if I can have anything to do with it, distracted from from the reason the yeah. first march happened. Over so. over 100 buildings being uh, damaged downtown, obviously, uh, the courthouse caught the brunt of the activity, and, um, and not really the police station, but the courthouse and 82 Ionia. He said 82 Ionia on fire a little mm-hmm. bit. So yeah. uh, Grand Rapids has never seen, you know, that kind of extreme action uh, in, re- in response to, you know, race relations. But it's it's not uncommon. And how Grand Rapids has been set up, uh, to quote Malcolm X, it, it's kind of like the chickens coming home to roost. I just was surprised to see that it was so many young white kids on the front lines. Yeah. And um, just to tie up what happened is you're on your street on Ottawa... I'm sorry, on Pearl, where your restaurant is about to open, there was five cars on fire. There, One was a police vehicle from Wyoming, yep. city of Wyoming, and it was dangerous. There was a lot of things happening. A lot of windows around there getting smashed. Oh, in. yeah, they blew up. I mean, um, a couple SUVs blew up in front of our space, so... Um, we were definitely vandalized. They took uh, one of the mannequins from out of the bridal shop that was around the corner, mm-hmm. um, set it on fire, and tried to throw it through our windows. Um, luckily, with all the stuff that they were doing and all the intense heat, uh, we weren't damaged that badly. You know, we had a few broken windows. That was it. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and um, you put out a really powerful statement that I, I, I want to just read and kind of go through with you because I think it's important to amplify. I think um, there's a lot of noise on social media. Uh, myself, I contribute to noise, but especially... Uh, hearing it from you and your perspective, being a business owner downtown, an Absolutely. entrepreneur who's staked everything on creating your own opportunities. Because maybe before we get into it, I just think as a, a black entrepreneur, it's hard enough to start any business. Mm-hmm. But what you three and all your business partners and everything that you've done have um, taken territory. I think Willie said uh, on the podcast, we're, mm-hmm. we're taking back some territory in terms of having our own opportunities Absolutely. downtown and creating it. And by force of your, your the smarts of your business plan, your, your, everything that you're doing are creating a, you're attracting now, your people are coming alongside and supporting your businesses in a way that hasn't happened uh, 
racially downtown in a long time. Yeah, not even just downtown. I think with everything that we've been able to do, a lot of times, traditionally, African-American businesses are supported only by the African-American community. Yeah. When we founded GRUSA, you know, some of our white friends would ask us, you know, is it okay for me to buy it too? I'm looking at them like, are, you got to be kidding me. You know, right. but because Grand Rapids is so hyper-segregated, we have these lines drawn where if it's a black-owned business, or well, it's meant to serve the black community. And the black community in Grand Rapids can never afford to operate like that, right? right. We have to go to Meyer, You know, we sure. have to go to DeVos Place if we want to see the symphony. So we always are in an environment and in a setting that we don't necessarily own. So, you know, we're used to doing that. Yeah. But on the flip side, we've had to, you know, kind of train and have such intentional marketing in order to have a crossover audience. And uh, it's unfortunate, but that's the reality that we're living in here in the city. Well, and I would just extend to like just the systemic issues. It's harder to get financing. It's harder to get commercial oh, yeah. loans. It's harder to you, the, the, the additional hoops, and I don't have any objective proof in front of me, but oh. certainly there's a systemic issue too that credit seems to be tighter for particular parts of the population yeah. than it is for somebody I mean, else. Brian, that's a fact. You, the, what you just underscored there is the elephant in the room, right? I can go out tomorrow and get $60,000 for a Range Rover, get financing for that. But if I want $20,000 for my, for my black-owned business, you know, I'll be hard-pressed for getting support. And I think that's the real crime, you know, that goes on every day in our city systemically. Well, yeah. what it does is it keeps people from pursuing whatever dream they have as an entrepreneur. It sure. keeps them in whatever job they have because they're not able to get the initial influx of capital that they need to take the next steps to create their business. And when you do that, there's a lot of uh, ambition and dreams and things that are left on, they're out of circulation. They're mm -hmm. not participating in the economy. And that's the very foundation of the success that we've had here in Grand Rapids. If you look at big families, you know, who have been able to, you know, kind of build these these business empires, man, that I'm very proud of because I am proud of my city. You know, I'm, I'm very critical of it because it's my job to hold it accountable and until the opportunities are, are there for everybody, whether you're from Granville Avenue or you're from Franklin and Eastern, yeah. um, I'm going to be an advocate and, and point out where we're flawed. But uh, I'm also very appreciative of what big business has been able to do out of my city in particular because it's locally owned and it's yeah. locally invested. So when I look at a Meyer and I see what they've invested in West Michigan in downtown Grand Rapids, or I look at a Pete Secchia and you know what he's been able to contribute to having Michigan State be you know one of those um, you know those key points you know on Medical Mile. Yeah, I'm very impressed. Yeah. At the same time, you know, we have these systems that exclude people of color, and we've got to address that in order to be the city we aspire to be. Well, that gets back to the statement you, uh, you put up on Facebook with some, some pictures, but I, I was pretty floored by this. The, the, um, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about um, the African-American community has had to suffer at the hands of law enforcement and the oppressive broken systems across the country for too long. Not only have we not been heard adequately, but innocent blood has been spilled over and over and over with the silent majority of people. I would say that would include me watching from the sidelines in silence while the black community has been left to our own devices. Yeah. The real black community, that's from Grand Rapids, who make up the DNA of our neighborhoods, are fed up with the exclusionary practices that our city have, has long been perpetuating. 
the managerial racism in corporate offices and a power structure that window dresses the lack of investment behind the veil of creation of opportunities that, quote, benefit all, unquote, are infuriating. It still perplexes me that we have one of the fastest growing economies overall in the country, but that we are ranked, and by we you mean the city of Grand Rapids, if I can editorialize a second, as one of the worst cities economically for African Americans. We have overqualified black talent that is frozen out of opportunities every day. So let's not act like GR isn't a part of the problem. Yeah, you know, there was a narrative going around once the riots happened and in the coverage where, you know, people were saying this isn't us. Oh, this definitely is us. I just didn't expect to see, you know, so many people who weren't from the black community on the front lines this go around. Yeah. But this is definitely Grand Rapids, man. I, I, there's been a few times before that I thought riots, you know, could potentially happen here in the city mm-hmm. because there's been longstanding, turbulent, uh, and tumultuous relationships with the Grand Rapids Police Department, you know? Yeah, the, a lot of incidents especially. There seems to be, either through media exposure, these aren't new events. We're, we're only seeing them. They're surfacing more quickly now and more often because of how we can document things as a community. Absolutely. But uh, we're we definitely, like the entire country, we're seeing a, a powder keg of some things going on. Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, um, you know, the police, you know, they're pulling out guns on on young kids in the neighborhoods, yeah. and that was the big uh, the big issue that was before city commission. You know, that mm-hmm. activists and leadership and the neighborhood associations were in an uproar about. You yeah. know, so well, these and things. Well, this eleven year old black girl who was handcuffed. Uh, Handcuffed, it just seemed ridiculous. Uh, anyway, but there's a lot of those types of things that are, are coming to light. They pop up more frequently. But in terms of your of your statement, I think there's a couple of things in there that I'd like to break down a little bit yeah. more. And that is just to have a conversation around um, uh, let me just pull something out here. There was so much in there. Um, uh, I, I think one one thing is the the managerial racism of corporate offices and power structure that window dresses the lack of investment behind the veil of the creation of opportunities. Some um, run on, some run on sentences in there. No, no, but it's uh, <laughs> what do you do? It, it's there's a lot. I had to get it. It was like birthing a baby. I had to get it. I wrote it and I typed it on Facebook fast and furious. Yeah. Well, um, but, you know, there are these systems. It's harder to get rent. It's harder to be approved for leases. It's harder yeah. to do all kinds of things. Yeah. But, uh-huh. but even deeper than that, you know, when I walk into some of these companies who I have the highest regard for and I don't see, you know, an African-American executive, mm-hmm. I don't see an African-American vice president, I don't even see, you know, an African-American secretary. Yeah. I know, you know, people have these new diversity initiatives to address it, but I've been very disappointed and the lack of, uh, you know, the lack of color that mm-hmm. I see in uh, some of these spaces. And if we want to become a global city that can compete with Seattle and can, comp- can compete with Japan and can compete with Chicago, then we're going to need to abandon some of our old insular ways mm-hmm. and, and really embrace people coming from other spaces and places. Well, and that has to be an intentionality now because I think there's two types of... Um, 
systemic problems. One is people who don't don't see a problem. That's obviously a problem. Um, there's other people who, uh, and because they don't see a problem, they never get around to creating intentionality behind the people and the faces and the of uh, the talent that they hire to um, in, uh, further their organization. So. There's certain industries that are very white centric. There's very, um, but they don't need to be. Like you said, the talent's on the sidelines waiting for the opportunity, mm-hmm. and um, it takes these business leaders, these entrepreneurs, these VPs, these um, presidents, whatever the ownership structure and management structure looks like. It takes intentionality to change the profile of a company Absolutely. and who's getting opportunities. So mm-hmm. until they recognize opportunity. Uh, the opportunity in front of them, it won't change. Absolutely. And that's why we have to make the argument that it's not just um, a charitable thing that you're doing by you know helping your company to become more diverse. Right. It's a, a, there's a value proposition for your business. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you have to articulate, hey, you're going to continue to lose top talent to you know another company where that Indian guy feels more comfortable and more sure. represented. Yeah. And so those are things that we really need to look at mm-hmm. because we have companies that are growing faster than, you know, the talent that we can kind of put into the pipeline here. And then we're underinvesting in the talent that is here that can be working in these companies. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like why we, um, we AJ Hills IV and I created the Midwest Tech Project, right? Mm-hmm. We wanted to create that tech talent pipeline so that we could get kids interested in coding, which is a new manufacturing, yeah. get them in, in, interested in uh, artificial intelligence and automation, all these things that are going to kind of, you know, dictate the economy moving forward. Yeah. Um, and so we know we needed to be intentional to make those connections. And, you know, Carl Erickson over there at Atomic Object has yeah. been a great partner for us. Uh, Meredith Bronk over at OST has been mm-hmm. a great partner for us. Those are two really powerful. We should pause on them because I think uh, Carl has always been very progressive, even when he was a younger company coming up. Um, and OST seems to have um, not only they're tremendously successful, but they've... Um, seem to be especially community-minded and and continually on a path of improvement. And the fact they have a female CEO, I mean, that in and out of itself in the tech industry is an anomaly, but it needs to become standardized, right? We shouldn't be shocked and wide-eyed when we see Meredith, you know what I mean, who's uh, one of the smartest people in West Michigan, uh, do her thing. Yeah. I have a friend in Detroit. Um, she's an R and B singer. She's worked on a lot of Tyler Perry like uh, stage stage shows and things like that. But uh, Monica Blair, and she said something interesting on Twitter, and that was, um, "People will never hear you until they see you." And I don't know. If that's her own quote. That's mm. probably been out there before in the ether. But that hit home for me because unless I can sit down and have that's what I don't like about social media in this time. We can all like um, uh, vent and put out frustrating things, but mm-hmm. until you, like, you and I are sitting at a table or they pull a con- commission of people from Grand Rapids to address issues, it's just noise and, and hot air. Although I think that people speaking out lends to more people speaking out. But um, I don't know. Is there anything you wanted to just drill into that? Just the idea of being um, seen and then heard and then understood? Well, I mean, I think that several of us have been 
been seen and heard. You know, we're at those tables when yeah. it comes to, you know, decision making um, to a certain degree. You know, but there are still some missing gaps. And those missing gaps are a little bit more important. And this is why we need to, you know, have those relationships with the yeah. business community here because we have round tables, you know, at the city of Grand Rapids and, you know, we pay for outside consultants to come in and kind of help us with studies, you know, whether it's from the Brookings Institute mm-hmm. or, you know, these different places. But the action and the implementation is where we seem to fall short. And then we also fall short with real relationships. Yeah. We, we, we have um, a lot of resources. A, a good friend of mine, Daryl Ross, he always says that GR is resource rich and systems poor. We're one of the most charitable communities in the world, but we still need the same charity, so that means it's not working. Right. You don't want to have to be giving to the same charities 10 years from now, you know? Right. Certain things will be around forever, right? Like world hunger, you know? Somebody's going to be hungry in the world, and you right. want to contribute to that. But we have a whole bunch of targets here in Grand Rapids that are extremely solvable. You know, yeah. we just need to look at the bullseye and actually um, stop being afraid and partner with the people who have the indigenous wisdom and knowledge mm-hmm. and, and, you know, do our work, put our heads down, do our work and, and get it done. Yeah. Well, I want to just loop back to those tests. Those, uh, there was those studies that, you know, we are ranked. This is, these are government funded and produced tests, which are, uh, and, the, and the results of those studies talked about income disparity, um, you know, all, all kinds of home ownership, home ownership and yeah. just uh, systematically. And you can draw a map, you talk about redlining mm-hmm. or whatever you want to do. You can just look at the demographics of the city from just that viewpoint and you can point to the areas of lower income without even... Oh yeah. Without even referring to the study, and they're right. Well, and they're always right next door to you know places that are more affluent. That was an interesting thing about growing up on Sherman Street, which I have to say was critical in my entire development and formation in mm-hmm. the way that I think about race in America. Yeah. Because uh, I lived in what we would call the eye of the storm. Like my block had a lot of stable family homes, but. You know, there was also, you know, a ton of different things going on in the city at that time. The crack epidemic is, you know, one of the biggest influences, I think, for any uh, millennial, you know, or Generation Xer that grew up in the core city, you know, in the 80s and 90s. And me, I'm an 80s baby, grew up in the 90s. And so seeing, hey, the home of Gerald R. Ford and, you know, East Grand Rapids right down the block by St. Stephen's, which we talked about earlier. Yeah. And then you, you start to come in on the R block and, and the blocks further towards Fuller Street. Yeah. Uh, you knew that there was abject poverty and, and you know, real things going on. And, and there was warfare going on as a kid, you know. Well, even in Ottawa Hills, you go south of Hall Street and north of Hall Street, um, and especially as you align uh, closer to east, and those are different worlds. And you go across Giddings or you go across towards MLK Park. It's a different world. And... Um, and uh, that's, um, I don't know how we change that necessarily in the short term. I don't think that's the point. The point is that we have these hard lines that stop this influx of communication, mm-hmm. this cross-pollination of ideas, mm-hmm. of uh, uh, love and concern for your neighbor, mm-hmm. and also just empathy for mm-hmm. how... You, if you can't recognize your privilege, you can't really um, 
there'll always be a I did this, but you're doing that type well, of thing. Well, let me be the uh, Pete Sampras to your to your Andre Agassi, right? Ooh, now we're talking. I'm thinking. I, I'm thinking a little different now, man. I, my experiences have led me to become a little bit more more um, mathematic. And in being mathematic and being logical, one can take that as being cold. Um, but I think that ownership and economic empowerment is one of the key ways that we can solve a vast majority of the systemic issues that we have around race in America. Okay. And so while I love the sentiments and I think that there will you know, be people like yourself who are conscious who will become you know, woke and awake to the issues, right? I'm not holding my breath for it. You know, but what I am gonna, you know, what I am willing to protest about, what I am willing to apply pressure in our community with different institutions about, is not having the same access to opportunity that other communities have had. Yeah. And I think when when you hear really Willie talk about, pardon me, when you hear Willie talk about real estate and territory, um, a part of our ethos and our philosophy is to be unrelenting in in seizing opportunity. And and that's the only reason why we've been able to achieve, and we haven't achieved a whole lot yet. We're young, and there's a long way to go. But where people are deriving some inspiration from our stories and from the limited success that we've had, um, it's because we don't hold you up. We're in it to win it. We'll fight with you about what we think we should have and what our community should have. And we're not going in to have a door open for us and then close it for everybody else. I right. want everybody who grew up in that in that uptown neighborhood, you know, from wealthy, you know, all the way up to Franklin, I want them to be able to access those same opportunities. And if I haven't done that, then I haven't done my job. I think that's what is a tra- is a tractor uh, to see your momentum. At least, you know, I I, I don't know. Uh, I've just been watching you guys um, a lot over the last three, four years when GRSA, GRUSA launched and, and these other things and just seeing you, how you embrace the city. Uh, and it would have been easy to start a wardrobe, you know, like an apparel company yeah. that just had um, combative messages all the time mm-hmm. about the city. Mm-hmm. And and like your hat that's on right now, it's the logo of the city of Grand Rapids sure. and that hometown pride and mm-hmm. Will's hometown pride and your um, you bring all that with you as the foundation to move the city forward. So yeah, sure. as you're uh, being forceful in um, whatever it is, negotiation, mm-hmm. providing opportunities, getting a seat at the table. I know you were with the police chief uh, yesterday. You had mentioned having meetings about uh, all kinds of problems in the community in light of the riots and the protests going on. That uh, the underpinning is this love of the community, but also mm-hmm. this, uh, this uh, you're casting a big net that you want everyone to get swept up into in terms of having your own, having, yeah, well, providing opportunities. When success. you have when you have ownership in your community, like I, I own my house, so you know I still um, I'm invested in my city. Mm-hmm. Like I don't look at Grand Rapids as you know Mr. DeVos's city or Jay Van Andel's city. I mm-hmm. look at it as Jonathan Jokes. It's as Mr. Jokes's city as yeah. well, right? And so when you have ownership, it prevents you from having a, a destructive mind state. You know, it 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 prevents you from feeling so hopeless that everything around you is expendable. Mm-hmm. I have a stake in what happens in Grand Rapids, and I believe that it can change. And I believe that. 
Um, we were working on it. I believe the city has evolved and come a long way in the last five years. I mean, yeah. I remember when Jamil Robinson and I, uh, Jamil, one of my partners who founded Grand Rapids Area Black Businesses, we first started engaging with Start Garden about you know economic development in, in the black community. And um, we were kind of strange bedfellows. The city of Grand Rapids put us together. They said, you know, you guys are doing some great things and you have these ideas that you want us to, to implement and work with you guys on. And uh, Start Garden is this vessel. And I'm like, Start Garden, you know, that's a, you know, that's, you know, an entity that was foreign to working in those areas to us. Yeah. But when we sat down with, uh, with our friend Paul Moore and uh, our good friend Mike Morin, and we started hashing it out and just, you know, having conversations about where opportunities lie and where they don't, um, we were able to create an awareness that wasn't previous, previously there. Yeah. And uh, we ended up partnering with them formally, and uh, it was great. You know, we, we ran a business accelerator, you know, out of Start Garden um, in collaboration with them. And um, their, their wisdom and, and their knowledge and our resources and tools and, and knowing the community has proven to be quite effective. And from there, they, they just blossomed, you know. So Daryl yeah. Ross ended up coming over there yeah. as executive director. And that was Jorge huge. Gonzalez. And so now Start Garden is looked upon. It's funny, we still chuckle about it, but Start Garden is looked upon as this beacon of diversity when it comes to the economic But ecosystem. how intentional was that hire? You had Paul Moore at the beginning there. Yeah. You had Ben Gott part, yep. being part Shout of that. To ben. But it took a, a very intentional, by leadership yeah. and with the family the family involved being the DeVos family that helped fund um, Start Garden, yeah. and it along was a, with community partners. But it was a process, though. Ben, yeah. you know, if you got him on here, he he had to, you know, co-sign me and say, "Hey, you know, Jonathan's a good dude. I've been, you know, in collaboration with him, you know, before, and he's a friend of mine, and I love what he's done with the public schools because me yeah. and Ben went and did some stuff at my alma mater, Ottawa Hills High School, yeah. and uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, he had to have some conversations like. You know, this is a good guy who's intentional about building up Grand Rapids. He has a vision, and we should support that. And I appreciate him for that. Well, none to go ahead and put the put the so to speak money where their mouth was. They they hired Daryl Ross and Jorge. Uh, you know, and then Paul. So you have this tri leadership yeah. that's happening that uh, has three very different styles. historical perspectives and mm-hmm. styles of management and views on how. To, uh, to, to be successful and how different people need to move as entrepreneurs and incubate and create connections for each other. It's, uh, it's amazing to see how then uh, diverse the grant-making process is. Absolutely. Because uh, um, not just yourself, but, but Daryl and, and Jorge have connections inside the city that can better explain and welcome people into the opportunity of entrepreneurship. That's it. And I love what they did going out and gathering some information from Dan Gilbert and what he was doing in Detroit. Mm, I didn't know that. Absolutely. Because Dan is more cavalier. You know, he's a first-generation billionaire. He's a Cleveland cavalier. He is a Cleveland cavalier. I did not mean that, but that's cool. That's cool. I like when that happens, when it all comes together. It's beautiful. For sure. But Dan, uh, you know, he's been innovative with his resources. Um, He's from Detroit. He cares about the city. He owns about... 90% 90% of downtown. Yeah, he went on a buying spree for sure, but he did. he's not just sitting, he's not squatting on it, he's doing stuff with it. He him. gets money out into the streets, and, yeah. and a big focus of his is because Detroit is an African-American city historically and still mm-hmm. is today. It's like 82, 83% African-American. Exactly. He makes sure that, that the different vehicles, the venture capital firm, or if it's his big... Um, 
his thing that's akin to 100 IDs, the Detroit Demo Day, where $2 million goes out to, you know, local entrepreneurs, not just like the tech stuff that's going on, right. you know, but, you know, the, the barbershops, the beauty salons, mm-hmm. the people who have good ideas for bakeries as downtown synergy hopefully is growing in some of the ancillary neighborhoods. Uh, Dan was a good model for what Start Garden wanted to do. And I was there when, you know, they were going and doing that market research. Mm-hmm. It was cool. Do you know, just you just mentioned, um, a couple of things, but do you know Sebastian Jackson from uh, the, the, the social grooming? Club? We've met before. Yeah, okay. we're on LinkedIn. We've met. We've met before. Uh, I'm, I met him at Detroit Demo Day, yeah. Dan Gilbert's thing, and then I met him with Bengat at nice. a party last year. Yeah, he's. Uh, I've known him a long time. I met him through a, a portrait project I was doing in Detroit. Seven. It started maybe seven years ago, and he was one of the first. I, I did portraits of him in his. Um, Barbershop right by Wayne State yep. as it was under construction, and then I went back. I'm actually, uh, uh, one of my favorite portraits I've ever done is him in the salon as it is, or the salon, the barbershop as it is now, with all the reclaimed wood. Yeah. His whole his whole barbershop is a metaphor for rebirth, yeah. taking wood from bombed out, burned out houses, destroyed houses around Detroit, and put it in the salon. They recycle the hair. They do all kinds of things. But he's draped in an American flag. Uh, <laughs> yes. I saw that image. Yes. He's uh, he's one of. There's been a lot of people on both sides of the state that have, um, you know, deepened my understanding and broadened my perspective on a lot of things. And he's one of the originals because I I remember just really having a lot of my eyes opened. By intentionally going to Detroit and create, seeking opportunities, I wasn't seeking oppor- I wasn't seeking relationships with quote black people. Mm-hmm. I was just wanting to do a portrait project. But inherently, then you learn <laughs> how much of the community is, is African American. Yeah, and it's like uh, it's such an amazing city. Um, I don't know. I don't want to get too diverse or too off track in Detroit, but just having that experience there. But there are modalities there that have been successful that have moved the the urban center, downtown center very quickly. Yeah, Detroit Detroit can learn from Grand Rapids, right? Us being a little bit more conservative, us having, you know, the billionaire families that invest directly back into Grand Rapids. I mean, think about it. 30 years ago, we could have very well become, you know, Flint. Yeah. Or look like how Muskegon, you know, was looking now. They're trying to bounce back. But, yeah. you know, deindustrialization completely right. affected Michigan. It, it completely affected our urban well, cores and our centers, right? Yeah, we had to move to Rust Belt, Rust Belt 2.0 or 3.0 exactly. or 9.0. We had to reinvent. And who's the leader of that? Mm-hmm. Grand Rapids, Michigan. Because we have such forward-thinking leadership in the business community who worked well with government government cooperated the business community cooperated and they did what was best and so we were preserved and then we were able to grow so you know during times when everybody else was going down we were going up but what grand rapids can learn from detroit is how they embrace diversity mm-hmm. how they embrace culture it really is a beautiful city i've spent i used to have a studio there for two years too and i would go back and it was a place i it had a, a bed and a kitchen and a full bathroom and things but it was a small lofted you know studio right down in corktown and I loved Corktown, but I also, as I would move throughout the city, it was such a stark difference when you went to great restaurants or a bar or whatever. The diversity in every room, like the effortlessness with which r- uh, racial makeups hang out together in Detroit is something that Grand Rapids 
doesn't we can't even touch it yet. Not at all. Not even close nope. in terms of. Um, that's why some of the parties and events that you put on with Motu Vijay are some of the most diverse uh, parties that I've seen at the mm-hmm. art museum and or the public museum as yeah. well. And that takes time and trust but, and trust. Yeah. And it's also, but I, I just have never been in a community. I grew up here, yeah. you know. I grew up in in white dominated, you know, pretty much uh, majority Grand Rapids, and lived, grew up in the Burbs, and went to Northview High School, yeah. and. Um, but uh, that sort of effortlessness of just uh, being in a room or just in, just hanging out yeah. is something I it, it's truly rare in Michigan to have that. Us being insular in Grand Rapids um, has been been used as a strength in the past. You know, it's kept us out of a lot of a lot of things, right? But being too homogenous in our thinking, in our social circles, in our networks. Um, has been a, a downfall, even even in industry, right? Mm-hmm. My my friends who are in tech don't often, you know, talk to some of my friends who are in the restaurant industry, and I think there's something missing there. Mm-hmm. Grand Rapids just isn't one of those communities where you have people with a plethora of different experiences all coming together, converging, sharing knowledge, sharing information, mm-hmm. and so you end up being limited and only, you know, kind of knowing about your particular area of expertise. And uh, so there's very few people who are connectors. Right. And so I think one of one of me and my partners, our jobs are is to make sure that we're connecting the dots between mm-hmm. people who come from, you know, different places. Well, I want to ask you about. Um, I want to go back to Willie the Kid's episode, and there's a viral clip that went out of Willie talking about how you guys met, first time you met yeah. him, and it's powerful in that. Uh, he, and I'll paraphrase it, but I'd like more of your your side of the story because this is it went crazy on LinkedIn and on Facebook, and it was one of those that Willie the Kid was uh, working in the studio, and you were somehow around there. But, yeah. but uh, you just there was some issue or something that he needed, yeah. and you just said, "How can I help?" Yeah. And Willie was blown away by it. Yeah. He's like, who's this guy asking me, how can I help you? So yeah. what was that moment? And what was, uh, you know, just talk about how that moment then became uh, fast forward it to was, this multi-pronged, you know, business ventures together. It was cool, man. Um, he, was on, he was in my neighborhood. He was on my block on Sherman Street. And, um, you know, him and a, another mutual friend of ours. Uh, they were doing music together or whatever. And I already knew who he was. He already had a reputation. He had already, you know, moved to Atlanta or whatever. And, um, yeah, he was, he was, and he's an amazing artist. You know, Will's an amazing artist. And, and we've got to give that man his flowers, you know, while he's here. Because, you know, coming out of Grand Rapids, going to college down there in Atlanta, and then, you know, signing a major recording contract in the industry, that's no small feat. Right. So he really opened up a lot of doors. Um, but he was building that buzz to be able to sign that major recording contract at that time. And our, I knew who he was before that. And Will's a little bit older than me. And so when he was down there and uh, he needed something, I was like, oh, I, I got to, you know, look out for him. I got to I gotta do that. I just, I respected the art. You know, I'm a kid that grew up on hip hop. So, you know, listening to, you know, Nas and Biggie and Wu-Tang, you know, that was the formation of uh, how I viewed the world. They yeah. were saying things you know, that were going on that I was seeing in my neighborhood. And um, I related to that. And, and Willie even brought that home even more because 
you know, he was right there. You know, yeah. he's from the city. He's from Southeast Grand Rapids, from a different neighborhood. But, you know, the things that he was talking about were actively going on. And so I, I jumped at the opportunity. Well, and what's funny is that I became aware of Willie the Kid through his business ventures, not through his music. Exactly. That's a blind spot in my, you know, in my uh, catalog of music that I dip into. I, mm. There's, uh, you know, the, it's just outside. And to know somebody locally who'd been successful just kind of off my my radar even though I think I listen to a lot of different music but the point is I've I came to know him through uh or came to hear of him through your partnerships and doing some things and I was looking into I was like holy shit this guy's uh got this whole other music career really is from Atlanta now essentially but uh, you know he's in Grand Rapids, yeah. of course, but Grand Rapids putting his money here. Yeah. You know oh, what yeah. I mean, like really creating opportunities well, here. Uh, what I told him is, bro, you're down there in Atlanta, and uh, you've been down there for years, and you know have built up quite a beautiful life down there. But I said your money will go further up here at home, and I said, you know, we're working with venture capital, you know, up here in Grand Rapids, and. Uh, me and Jamil had a lot going on within the business ecosystem, and we're finding different ways to invest our resources. And I said, hey, man, you need to to be intentional about investing back home, and you should do it with us. Because um, we already, me and Will already had, you know, GRUSA, so we had a venture together, and we have some right. other things that we don't don't talk about that we do together. But I said, you need to um, to be more intentional about investing at home because this is where that impact will most be felt. Mm-hmm. In Atlanta, there are a ton of black millionaires. There's probably a couple of people who are close to being billionaires yeah. out of the city. Um, Atlanta doesn't need you to be a business success in order for their operation to keep going. But in Grand Rapids, where we're the second worst city economically for African Americans, for them to see your success, for that to be represented you know, at our alma mater, Ottawa Hills High School, mm-hmm. for that to be represented downtown, um, for that to be represented in scholarships that we give out, yeah. that means more to this community than you can ever imagine, and it's your legacy. Yeah. You know, here is where your legacy is cemented, not down in Atlanta. You yeah. know, well, that's powerful, and then to see how quickly that has merged into more and more visible, and you know, maybe riskier businesses. You know, as yeah. you build on top of success, um, just talk about just in general. It's not through. Uh, uh, but just your appetite for uh, taking on projects that seem difficult, yeah. just from a business standpoint, not because of social issues, but just, uh, you know, what is your approach when you have an idea and how do you vet it enough to know, okay, this is something we're going to deploy a lot of energy into yeah. to make successful? Like Mo Tuvijay, that's a good one. Um, Will was all about that. He was like, bro, we have to do this. You know, I've been dreaming about being in the craft brew industry and, you know, he wanted to do a brewery, and he's always had different ideas because he's a foodie. And so, you know, we have relationships over there at St. Julian, mm-hmm. um, Michigan's largest winery. Uh, those guys were familiar with, you know, our reputation and knowing that, you know, we had some good businesses and stuff mm-hmm. going on. And, um, yeah, they were excited by the potential to work with us. And I was like, Will, you, you know, you really want to, you know, pursue this? Because it seems a bit grueling. And we have some things that, you know, will have a quicker return on investment. I'm, all, I'm always thinking about the ROI, mm-hmm. the risk versus reward. And then um, if there's a niche, you know, is it uncharted territory for, for us? Because I'm always interested in doing that. That's yeah. just part of being an African-American, I think, but then also just being Jonathan, right? Wanting to do some things that, um, you know, other people haven't done. Yeah. 
And um, I was like, man, it seems kind of cliche. You know, you're you're the rapper. I'm the you know business guy, but we're. Sure. We're doing, you know, spirits. We're doing liquor. Like, can we really even get a piece of the market share? Um, but well, I just st- like finding shelf space and retail. Shelf and that, space, how do you, retail. you know, it's harder to. Well, that, but I knew I had the, you know, we have the relationships in the city to, you know, be in a mire. Yeah. Um, we knew we had the relationships to, you know, get out here and, and get after it. You know, everybody who's with me, they have to have hustle. So that's yeah. like one of the factors. Like Jamil, anybody who works for him has hustle. Super Dre, she's. So multi-talented and still finds a way after, you know, doing her day job, which is, you know, running things tech-wise. Uh, she's incredible. That episode is crazy. I don't know how she... And she's constantly communicating and on on social, and it's just the bandwidth that she has is unbelievable. Amazing. And she's doing complicated... Complicated uh, coding work and uh, software work. It's yeah. this uh, app platform yeah. development. It's unbelievable. Vetting whether she should, you know, they should, they should acquire a company or not. Like she does it all. Yeah, and she still hustles. Yeah, the woman has so much hustle, and so that's that's something that has to be in the DNA of everybody that mm-hmm. you know is around. And Will just said, man, to bring it back to Mo too. He said, you know, this is a, a great opportunity because it kind of we don't have to do all the work on our own. We can put together the systems and have things in place and have an infrastructure and then do what we do best, which is create the lifestyle and market and uh, make people connect with the product. Yeah. Well, I want to talk more about how you, uh, you know, what is the, uh, my business has been at a standstill during COVID. I'm just Mm -hmm. starting to get back online. I don't know how many projects are going to be coming my way in the initial push. Uh, marketing budgets for my industry I think are um, if they exist anymore for 2020 they're not what they planned in 2019 for them to be in 2019 so I have concerns about my own um, just my industry and you know when projects come available how quickly do they come to me Mm. (laughs) for quite frankly Uh, but how had how did this shutdown um, hurt you or in one way or another and and forced you to pivot and is there positives out of that yeah there was positives you know you got got a chance to sit back and and enjoy your family and and think about things and reflect and, and plan but we had so much momentum coming into 2020 that it was just hard to sit down it was very difficult to accept that this health crisis is one that you can afford to you know play ping pong with so you you gotta you know be in be inside and kind of quarantine and kind of watch things play out and so it's definitely slowed money up uh definitely delayed us finishing ambiance and getting open um even with motu vijay we weren't able to approach it as aggressively as we have been we had some great events that were going to come about in the future because um, we started off lovely. Uh, the, the event that we had at the Grand Rapids Art Museum, the gala that I did with uh, with AB, who's another one of those guys, right? Those yeah, he's one of guests too, yeah. Those cultural architects, a good friend of mine. He's um, just a very, very sharp dude. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a Motu Vijay event, but we obviously, you know, utilized that to kind of introduce Avani to, mm-hmm. you know, the public and to a wider audience. Right. And it was great, you know. It was great. That was one of my favorite events that I've I've curated because everybody got dressed up. It was a high ticket price, and I yeah. know Grand Rapids people, you know, you don't like to pay for entertainment around here. They like to keep it. <laughs> Tell me about. It. I used to own an art gallery. They don't want to invest <laughs> in tangible art. Very very frugal community we have, yeah. but it was a it was a beautiful event. You were yeah. there. 
Yeah, I was not at that one. You weren't at that one. A couple one, of man. other ones. Uh, that was I, the party of the year, man. That no, was I know. One. I missed it. And I I, um, I had AB hit me up. I think Will was like, you mm-hmm. coming to this? And I was, it was more like a, a direction. It was more like, you are coming to this. <laughs> and I just, uh, we got Dynamics family at home. Uh, yeah, sure. It's so hard for me to get that's out. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But if... Uh, but remind me when the the launch was of Avani. The the launch, the soft launch, so the private invite only thing was at uh, Long Road. You're right. Who was and our I, partner for that? And, and I was at then. that. Yeah. But what date was it? What that month was, was that? January seventeenth. Okay, so that because I, I distinctly remember the it snowing so hard when I left, and oh, yeah. and it seemed yep. like not too long after that in late February March is when all this went down. Yeah. I was like, oh man, these guys just. Did the soft launch? We yeah, did the soft launch. We did the museum event, and then we threw a big bash on the twenty eighth at Twenty One Alive. We rented right. out Twenty One Alive. That was the official, yeah. like kind of launch to the the wider community. Yeah, um, the the party party. <laughs> that was a party, and it was a party. I didn't go to that either. Yeah. But the uh, I don't go to anything hardly. <laughs> but the uh, um, when I do get out, I try to do what I can. But um, that looked like uh, an incredible event. And people turned out, you know, the black and the white, the the meaning the wardrobe and yeah. the evening, you know, it was like a cocktail party. It was yeah. people were dressed up, um, but that just underscores how recently COVID happened yeah. and put the brakes on some of your efforts. And I was just shocked too. Some of our neighbors are going out of business. I saw Grand Central Market around the corner over yeah. at Monroe Center. They're going out of business. And I saw uh, Mark, Mark Sellers, who's yeah. somebody that we look up to in the business ecosystem, yeah. is doing some restructuring. Yeah, Hopcat, so. uh, just Mark Sellers is the founder and owner of Hopcat. Uh, and they have restaurants and bars all over the country. And they are reorganizing under Chapter 11. But, uh, and that's where I'm speaking to the recovery in my industry. I think we're just starting to see businesses that are going to throw in the towel because they just can't sustain it. Yep. And um, so there's this longer tail to the recovery. We're going to see some implosion of, unfortunately, some incredible businesses. And, you know, I, 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 I'm thinking about what can I do to pivot? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm just being really raw and yeah. candid because I don't know how fast I'm going to have people working with me on advertising campaigns or corporate communications, whatever it is. There'll be a need, but then whether I can sustain a business based on their budgets. Yep. Is a question I'm it's, asking myself all the time. It's real for everybody. Yeah, there's cash shortfalls for everybody, um, especially if you're an entrepreneur and you. There's just no way you calculate something like this. Right. There's no way that you can prepare yourself for a health crisis that's eliminate that's going to eliminate all work for three four months. We just need a meteor to hit the hit the world. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much. Uh, the only thing left at this point. And, and then that's why the riots. So, so I understand all the frustration, right, about, yeah. you know, systems and where we need systems change here in Grand Rapids. And I'm all for that. But I can't act like I didn't have on heart for my fellow entrepreneur downtown. There's a Mexican restaurant that's around the corner from Ambiance that got completely demolished and ransacked during that time. And, um, you know, of course, everybody has insurance, but you have to pay those deductibles, and you haven't been getting rent for three, four months. So, yeah. I mean, you haven't, excuse me, you haven't been getting revenue for three, four months. So, yeah, and I looked at it a couple ways, and maybe you can. I'm interested in your opinion because I, I, I haven't put this out onto social, but I guess I'll put it out on the podcast. Is that part of me 
I looked at it as two separate events. There was a, there was a pro, vandal, vandals and vandalism is not protesters. Mm-hmm. And there's two separate things. Um, I understand the damage that can come from a riot that is um, seated in these things that's just mm-hmm. going to boil over. My view on the Grand Rapids stuff that I have, and this is something that I may change my mind on, so I just want to cover my ass on it, because I did not care about broken windows downtown. Mm -hmm. When I saw especially how quickly the brooms came out and the the cleaning up the spray paint Mm -hmm. and the boards went up to protect the businesses Mm -hmm. that had their windows smashed, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of dollar damages. But to your point, and this was my opinion of it, Mm -hmm is those businesses wouldn't have leases if they didn't have insurance. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have bank loans unless they had insurance. Mm-hmm. And how quickly, you know, another week or two, once those windows are replaced, is the stain of that riot going to be invisible when you walk around? Mm-hmm. What, you cannot, what you cannot sweep up quickly, metaphorically, mm-hmm. is the mess of the systems and the racism that we have. Agreed. So... I didn't care about the property. Mm-hmm. I was not clutching my mm-hmm. pearls saying, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. people smashing windows. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and, and see, I think that my post that you read, uh, you read the second paragraph, but my first post was empathetic to business owners, right? Absolutely. Because when I saw the, yeah. these kids, you know, trying to uh, throw the trash can through our front window yeah. and I saw them lighting stuff on fire, I immediately came down there at 1.30 in yeah. the morning. I'm and not condoning No, no, no. I know you're not. Yeah. No, no, no. Let me, yeah. let me say. Sure. I know you're not condoning it. I'm not either, but I immediately came down there because if I was there, that wasn't going to happen. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I was prepared for a conflict or whatever needed to transpire because we've invested, you know, almost a million dollars into that space. We have our our livelihoods tied up into what we're doing there business-wise. So so we took that personal. However, me being a black man from Grand Rapids and me knowing how Grand Rapids has operated for years and years and years and years and then nationally as well, like what the oppressive systems have caused and the harm that's been done. Man, like Martin Luther King said, riots are the language of the unheard. People have been unheard and this is the collateral damage. So I go back to my first statement from Malcolm X when he said the chicken's coming home to roost. Now he was speaking about President Kennedy at that time and that was very callous. Mm -hmm. Um, But in our case, I think it's bubbled over, man. Sandra Bland, Mm -hmm. Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown. You know, the list goes, Amadou Diallo, Sean Bell, like over and over and over we have these. So we have uh, stories of that kind of stuff happening here in Grand Rapids. Names Hawkins. Go back and look up that guy from our community, somebody that we knew growing up and and how he met his untimely demise um, and in relationship to the police department. So we have real issues here in Grand Rapids. It's not everywhere else and people just, uh, you know, people just projecting their frustration from a national situation here in our city. In our city, these issues are real. Right. You know, and so... Well, my, my only regret about the, the property damage is the inherent distraction of the message and the co-opting and the, the polluting of the problem in the first place because property got damaged. Exactly. And people closed their minds to exactly. listening because, oh, vandals did this mm-hmm. and they did that. So that's a shame, and that, that's the, the real... Uh, stain of the vandalism. It isn't that these businesses can't be operating very quickly again. And I'll say this, man. People have been murdered on camera before in the black community nationally, and there was nobody out there with us, you know, protesting, (laughs) and there were no big corporations, you know, showing their solidarity. 
It was right. none of that, right? right. Philando Castillo got mur- murdered, what, two, three years and that ago? that was in Minneapolis. In Minneapolis, shot his kids in the car. Yeah. I mean, come on. You know, this, this stuff has been going on far too long. So I don't know if the world would be paying the attention to it if it didn't get rambunctious, if it didn't get violent well, in some cases. And I, I hate to say that because... Yeah. Uh, you know, that's not what I am trying to uh, endorse or incite. No, and uh, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that. But when you add the frustration of being told how to protest, when Colin Ka- Kaepernick cannot take a knee, exactly, and told he can't just take a knee, exactly, that was not violent, exactly. But they all shit on him for that, exactly, and they all co- they all perverted his message. They made it about the flag and disrespecting yeah. the military. Yep. That's not what he was about. Exactly. That wasn't why he knelt. And that pisses me off. Because exactly. that happens. That, uh, and so to the extent that I, don't, I understand the need to create attention, yeah. like forcing you to look at us. Yeah. Uh, and by us, I mean our systemic problems. Yeah. And, and we have a, a community that is disproportionately... Um, Disenfranchised Absolutely. over and over and over again in every part of our society. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean there's not opportunities. There aren't. There are success stories. Yeah. There are people blazing yeah. a trail, but that's not enough. It's there's, not enough. That's not enough. And and to get people to give up, they if they view it as they have to give up something or have less. Yeah. That's that's where the yeah. the you or, you become invisible. Or you know, or you know that hey, you know. It's got to be taken at a certain point. Exactly. If you keep your neck, your foot on the neck of people for so long, eventually, you know, every uprising in history, you know, people are gonna respond accordingly. And yeah. when and when people do respond, it's gonna look ugly. Well, and we don't have a we don't have a president right now who can be a calm and and assure anyone and believe anything he says yeah. that will be any kind of authentic. Uh, any authentic gestures to where we're going as a country to Absolutely. be more unified. So I think I can just say and cover both of us, we're not condoning riots and violence. We're understanding the need for peop- all elements of the country to pay attention to very specific problems I know where that co- have created this frustration and I, inequality in the first place. I know exactly where it comes from. Um, and... We've got to make change. That, I think what I said at the end of that statement that you read from is that if we don't make the change, you know, it's kind of like no justice, no peace. Mm-hmm. You know, it just yeah, it just is what it is. That statement rings true. It's also an invitation. It's an invitation to the wider party of uh, a wider table, absolutely, and, and expanding the table for more people uh, to have a voice and to shape. It's not having a voice and then let other people s- change and alter the system. It's participating on every level of that yeah. to affect the change. So I, um, it is an invitation. There are positive things that will come of this if we don't let the moment and let certain groups run out the clock. Yeah, over on, and overwhelm us, right? Right. With just... One aspect of things, you know, so there's tremendous opportunity. I mean, again, things could have been a lot worse in downtown Grand Rapids. I saw 
you know, some of the things that went on out in the Bronx and in Brooklyn and in um, not just on, out west, you know, there there are far worse things happening as a result of of this death, which has kind of triggered black America and not only black America, but a younger generation of white America who stands in solidarity. I was amazed by how young, like, and again, I don't know, there's a difference between vandals and protesters, uh, speaking again about the riots in Grand Rapids, but I watched that I, live stream on Wood till maybe three in the morning. I couldn't, I couldn't put it down. But um, how young the people were. They were probably, most of them, under 30 after yeah. 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, and people hours. under 30 have far less to lose, too, right. you know? And I can honestly say, I, I remember seeing the L.A. riots, and I was a little kid when that happened. Yeah. And telling my mom, and she got on me for this. You know, me and my dad were watching the stuff on the news, and I said, well, I would be out there rioting, too. If I was, if I was 22... And the wrong action happened by an officer while we were out there peacefully protesting. Obviously, my parents raised me right, so I wouldn't go out and be destroying other people's property for no reason. But if I was 22 and there was a, a wrong reaction to you know my peaceful protest and I agitated, I could very well see myself participating in something that I had no business doing. Yeah. Because that's how passionate I am about my community. That's mm-hmm. how passionate I am about the injustice that you know black people have received since you know we been brought illegally here to this sure. country. I feel the same way. I think there's something that happens once you're over 35 where you're that part of your brain where you think you're bulletproof and, yeah. and nothing's bad going to happen to you yeah. physically or in life or whatever. Uh, yeah, that, flips, get, that switch gets flipped <laughs> and you see the risk, inherent risk, but that's why a lot of the energy and the anger comes out through people who feel they have nothing to lose and Absolutely. are bulletproof. So... Um, well, we've been at it about an hour. What else? Is there anything that we missed that you thought you would talk about or we would get into today in terms of uh, just what? I mean, we covered a lot. We but. covered a lot, man. <laughs> um, no, I'm just appreciative of the opportunity. I think, uh, you know, using business and establishing more ownership are two of the ways that, you know, we can, uh, you know, advance the cause for, for social justice here in the city and in the country. Um, the police departments are one of the most overt places where racism is still allowed to live. And that's not just here in GR, that's everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like the front lines uh, occupying militaristic force that has been used against people of color in, mm-hmm. in, you know, in the community. And um, that's unfortunate you know, because black people pay taxes and we contribute to their salaries and we shouldn't if they're not going to serve and protect. Right. You know, when they go out to the suburbs and there's a thing with white kids, you know, they, they, they break it up, but they treat them with the utmost respect and with... Yeah, they scoot them along and no one's getting handcuffed on the side of the exact court or whatever it is. And they come down, they, they get one of us, pull one of us over. I've been having bad experiences with, you know, with the police since I was probably like 13, 14 years old. You know, accused of stealing a bike in East Grand Rapids to being pulled over when we, you know, started driving, all that kind of stuff. So... Mm-hmm. um but the greater issues, right, the more underlying issues are economic ones now. Yeah. You know, and, and those are a little bit more difficult to solve because if we're all running this great American race, you know, the starting line for us is, you know, kind of way after a lot of other people. But I do think that there are things that we can be doing in the black community to support one another better. I look at some of my brothers and sisters from the Latinx community, and I, I, I love the way that they pull their resources together in order to, 
you know, you know, buy neighborhoods and try to empower economically, uh, even when they, you know, English is a second language for them, they're still able to overcome those barriers and, and build. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could build more if they weren't, you know, enduring so much racism, you know, sure. from the, the majority and the power structures and whatnot. Uh, but I think that there are things that we can be doing as a people better that will give us even more sovereignty. I think the answer lies with us. I'm not waiting for any white guy to come down from his corporate office to come help me address what needs to go down in Southeast Grand Rapids. You know, I just, I don't think that's gonna happen and I don't, I don't believe that's the way it should happen. You know, I'm looking at us to come up with the answers. And then, you know, this this new term, you know, your white allies, anybody who considers themselves a, a conscious person and a person who cares about their community and they feel compelled, they should come down and partner with the people who have the answers. Mm-hmm. And I think we have the answers. I think so, too. Um, I appreciate you. I admire you and your team and uh, your people I respect very much just watching. You've, you've, you talk about hustle, but after each one of my interviews with uh, A.B., you know, who's not a business partner in your traditional businesses, but Willie the Kid and, and Super Dre, Andrea Wallace, um, you know, I get fired up because there's more I want to do. There's more things I want to do as a business person. And I see you guys doing it as I would any other entrepreneur in town that I respect and go, okay, I, I need some extra hustle. Like I can, uh, and for that, that's, uh, that's been amazing to watch. And I can't wait for a lot of this uh, COVID to die down so yeah. we can build on the next steps of everything that we just talked about. We got to so, work together, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. Appreciate right. you, bro. Thank you. Well, if you made it this far in this uh, audio episode, you've enjoyed it. You've uh, hung in there. It was a very intense conversation um, about uh, during a tense time in our city. And uh, we as uh, every facet of our communities has a lot of work to do to create a more equitable uh, system and to uh, disrupt those traditional barriers that stand in the way of people of color our black and Hispanic friends are uh, just every part of our community. Our Asian friends, they do not have the same playing field that uh, our traditional Grand Rapids businesses have uh, being white owned. Let's just be frank about it. So uh, one request, please, as always, I will be releasing video excerpts of this conversation, some of the more powerful and concise uh, excerpts of this conversation will be shared on Facebook and LinkedIn and other social platforms. Please share these. If you align at all or even disagree, share these videos. Uh, it will help uh, all of us uh, have an understanding of parts of the community that we may or may not uh, have that much contact with. <clears throat> Excuse me. We might not have that much contact with various parts of the community that are voicing so strongly the need for change. So uh, please share these videos. Jonathan's a brilliant man, very, very easy to uh, understand his perspective and the drive and the commitment he has to our city with love and progress and growth. So, hey, man. Just uh, thank you, as always, as listening. This was a great way to get back started again after COVID, um, and uh, there's a lot more to come. So thank you. Get at it, everybody. Have a great week. This Full Exposure podcast episode has been made possible through the support of Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn 
who believe that creativity and the arts are essential to a rich, healthy, and fulfilling life.